What's up, y'all? I'm Will here with Schedule Fly, and this is the Restaurant Owners Uncorked podcast, one of the highest rated hospitality podcasts in the world, brought to you by us at Schedule Fly. We provide a very simple web based restaurant employee scheduling software backed by legendary customer service. If you're on pencil and paper or Excel or you're on some software with tons of bells and whistles and features you don't need or use, ScheduleFly is the perfect place for you. Easy to use, point, click, and go, and we'll take great care of you. ScheduleFly.com, free trial, check it out. Also, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Pop Menu and The Giving Kitchen and KickFin. And you're going to hear about them in just a minute. First of all, let's talk about today's guest. First of all, this episode is our first episode in this freaking awesome studio uh, here in Charlotte, Everybody Studios, and we're super stoked to start recording here. And ironically, we're recording this episode with Sean Walshef, who is the man in terms of le- leading the charge and you know raising the flag and saying, hey, if you're in the hospitality business, you should be in the media business and you should be telling your story. And he's telling a ton of stories on his podcast. I can't wait for y'all to listen or watch this episode with Sean. He is he is absolutely uh, on the leading, bleeding edge of helping restaurants realize how you can and should be sharing your story on podcast, your own podcast, preferably, uh, all across your social media channels, and how important the story that you have to tell every day is, your backstory, how you got where you are, what you're doing now, what you're doing going forward, what's happening every day. Uh, I love the way he thinks. Uh, he's a very creative, high-energy guy, and this is a different episode. This is not just talking about running a restaurant. This is talking about turning your restaurant into a media business and creating a, a brand that people know about and want to follow and love and just continuing to tell that story. So you are going to love this episode, unique, different, and awesome. The busiest time of year is coming. Is your staff ready for the holiday rush? This year, give your team the gift of Pop Menu AI Answering, a simple solution for phones ringing off the hook. AI Answering handles calls 24 7 365 days a year so your staff can focus on in-person guests customize your greetings and responses answer common questions promote specials and events and send follow-up links to ordering and reservations ai answering handles it all while escalating more complex conversations back to your team never miss another tasty revenue opportunity Pop Menu, the marketing technology platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy. Discover more AI restaurant tools that turn your to-do list into an already done list by requesting a demo today. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com. Be sure to tell them that Will from Restaurant Owners on Court Podcast and Schedule Fly sent you. Y'all, this is a great business. I just told you what they like me to say. I will say that we have a lot of mutual customers at Schedule Fly with Pop Menu. They all agree. Great product, great customer service, great results. Check them out, popmenu.com. 
This episode is also brought to you by The Giving Kitchen. Giving Kitchen provides emergency assistance for food service workers through financial support and a network of community resources. Since its inception in 2013, Giving Kitchen has served over 15,000 food service workers and awarded over $10.5 million to food service workers in crisis. If you or someone you know is a food service worker in crisis, please ask for help. TheGivingKitchen.org, and again, that's TheGivingKitchen.org. Y'all, this is a phenomenal organization. Jen, the founder, has been on this podcast. Jen Heidinger Kendrick, check out that episode to hear their full story. But if you know somebody or you need help, go to TheGivingKitchen.org. Incredible, incredible organization and very responsive and has a wonderful mission. Check them out. Here we are, uh, podcaster to podcaster, uh, business owner to business owner. Sean, dude, uh, the fact that this is our first episode in a studio, um, the irony is not lost on me. And it wasn't deliberate, but it's it's good serendipity because you're a big big reason for this. So thank you for taking the time to be here today, my man. It's my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of you, Will. I, I, f- I found you online uh, where I find many people in this new new world that we live in, these digital playgrounds. And when people speak their truth and it resonates, um, I hit the follow button and uh, you have a, a huge fan in me. So thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, all right, man. Let's just let's take it back. How did you get... And I, I don't know this. I mean, I follow a lot of your stuff, so I know the things that you're doing now, but I don't know how you got into hospitality in the first place. Is it a family thing? I know you have a family business, but was this something you grew up in? Yeah, so uh, I grew up, um, I never met my father, uh, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I was raised by my Bulgarian grandfather and my Japanese grandmother, and uh, they believed in the value of work. I'm very fortunate, grew up in an affluent neighborhood in La Jolla. Uh, for those that don't know, La Jolla means the jewel. It's a very privileged life. Um, but my grandfather was an immigrant that became a medical doctor during World War II and um, fought for everything that he, he wasn't in the war, but he uh, he fought figuratively to to get out of poverty and to build a life and to give me all these opportunities. And because of that, he invested in lots of different businesses after his medical practice. Um, he was a medical doctor until 64, became a real estate developer and owned a lot of single family homes and eventually built some some commercial properties as well. But one of those properties was a single family home that he converted into a restaurant and leased out. Um, eventually, he built another building, um, a senior home behind that restaurant, which took up the tenant's parking and tenant didn't want to renew their lease. And my grandfather said, well, we'll just run the restaurant too. Um, I was 13 years old at the time. And my weekends of hanging out with my friends, playing sports turned into going out and busting tables and washing dishes. And um, I hated it. Honestly, I, I didn't like doing it. I wasn't excited about doing it. I you know, felt bad that all my friends were doing other cool things. And I was out, Mm -hmm. you know, in the hospitality business and the restaurant business. But, you know, looking back at it, I think it was one of the greatest things that ever happened because it taught me about hospitality. It taught me about people. 
Um, Spring Valley is a much different demographic than La Jolla. So I was driving about 25 minutes, 30 minutes east San Diego um, into a more rural and rustic neighborhood, uh, industrial neighborhood. And because of that, I realized that you can make magical moments through food. Um, you can make magic, magical moments inside the four walls of a restaurant that will allow families to invest in that restaurant where they feel like this is our restaurant, you know. This is my table. Yes. This is where we come for mom's birthday. And every time grandpa, you know, when something happens in the family, we make sure on Friday nights we go to this restaurant, we sit with this server and something in there resonated with me much later on in life. And um, it wasn't until I was around 26 years old that me and my best friend took over that same very restaurant that I was busting tables. Um, and that's when we launched uh, what is now known as Cali Barbecue. Oh man, it's interesting how many lessons you can learn uh, as a young person working in a restaurant that you have no idea you're learning. Um, but the values that um, you get out of that and the diverse set of skills and diverse set of people you're exposed to is like nothing else you can do, I think, as a teenager. Um, okay, so between 13, you start, 26, yep. you open. How long, like what happened? Did you go to college or like what, yeah, what happened? Yeah, I graduated, um, graduated from Bishops in 2000. I was a Y2K baby. So the internet was supposed to end all of our lives um, the year that I graduated high school. It <laughs> yeah, didn't happen. That. Uh, <laughs> there was yeah. a big uh, internet crash. Um, not, not, not the internet actually crashing, but financial markets. Um, but nonetheless, I went to University of Colorado um, in Boulder. I was there for three years. Oh, yeah. Um, I went to study abroad my junior year. And while I was um, in Alicante, Spain, my grandfather um, was aging. He was at a point where he wanted to write his own life story, uh, his memoir. And he said that, um, you know, he really, I was the oldest grandson. So he has two children, uh, three children, uh, two sons and, and a daughter, my mom. Uh, but he asked if I would be willing to move back to San Diego. And I said, sure. Um, everything that you've done for me, this is the least thing I can do, you know, forego my senior year at Boulder transfer to the university of San Diego. And that's when I started working for him and, uh, helping him with his real estate portfolio, um, helping him find a tenant for the restaurant and getting to a place where I started doing the most important work that I've ever done, which was helping him with his life story. Um, you know, he came and picked me up from Spain, um, while I was studying there and we went from Spain to Paris where he studied. Um, he also studied in Paris. He graduated from the university of Heidelberg in Germany, but I drove from Paris all the way across Western Europe to Eastern Europe, to Germany, um, back to Bulgaria, where he's from, to the village, um, collecting material for his work that we eventually published, self-published into a memoir. And then I got that book translated into Bulgarian. But uh, when I look at where we are as a media company, uh, helping other brands and leaders tell stories on the internet, everything comes back to my grandfather wanting to share his story. Um, I was actually filming yesterday. We have a new series that just launched with Toast, um, our primary technology partner. We have two different shows that we host with them, one called Restaurant Influencers on Entrepreneur and this new show called Family Style. Uh, but I was interviewing a very successful family here in San Diego that has 16 Mexican restaurants. Um, in those 16 Mexican restaurants, they're next year going to be celebrating 40 years in business. And I was interviewing the the dad. So the, the CEO is the son, Javier, um, 
Correa and I was interviewing both him and his father, but he was very emotional, him and his, his, uh, his sister who also runs HR for the company because they've been working so hard. They have hundreds of employees. They have this iconic brand here in San Diego, yet they've never shared the story of, you know, of dad Mm. and of grandpa and how did they get to where they got? And it was such a powerful moment for me yesterday being able to ask him questions that I was asking my grandfather when he was writing his book. You know, every, every single person, whoever's listening to this show, you have a story. Yep. You know, we all have stories that there's a reason why our parents, our grandparents, our brothers, our sisters, why those certain stories that we hold dear in our heart and that we share, but most of the time we don't document them. We've never been easier to document stories to literally jump on a Zoom call and record the video of somebody that you love, somebody that you admire sharing, why did you start the thing? Why did you build the thing that you built? You know, how did it come to be? And if you do that, that becomes an incredible piece of, of, of history. And it doesn't matter. You don't need thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people to see that. It matters to you. Yep. You know, when I get down to the... I have 77,000 pieces of content on my iPhone, mm. uh, 15,000 videos, like 60,000 photos. I preach this stuff. I live this stuff. But, you know, th- three weeks ago, we lost our family dog. And that dog's been with me since I've been with my wife. Mm. So I've been with my wife for 15 years. We got the dog uh, one year into our marriage. And I have a six year old son and a four year old daughter. Um, it was heartbreaking, mm. you know, losing a dog is heartbreaking. Yep. Uh, as I was going through, I realized of all the different things that I take videos of and I take videos of everything. I didn't take much video of our dog. Mm. I did take some, but knowing that those little moments of when my son was born and we brought my son back to our condo and he got to meet Diego for the first time and he ran up to him and I took out my phone and I captured that. Like I have that for me. Yeah. Was I able to share that? I was able to share it, but now that magical micro moment because of the smartphone, I can share with my daughter who loves watching that video, you know, this little Instagram reel video that I made is a memorial to my dog. Yeah. It's for me, you know, but then I post it and I have the courage to post it because that's what I teach other people to do. Why? Not because it has anything to do with barbecue, not because it has anything to do with me. It has to do with it's just a story. Yeah, that's right. People, families that have dogs know what it's like to lose a family dog. Dude, you and I are uh, very simpatico on a lot of things, my friend. That is for sure. Um, I, uh, I had the opportunity when I was a senior in college um, – my dad, uh, he had, he'd been in Vietnam, um, and he was Green Beret and I, I didn't know his story. he had never wanted to talk about it. And I had a Vietnam seminar and, um, and I said, dad, you know, the professor has said any of y'all, you're of the age, you may have fathers that fought. If any of them ever wants to come to campus, I'll give them the whole two hours of the seminar to share their story. And I call my dad. I'm like, I know you probably don't want to do this, but, and he called me back a couple weeks later and he came and he shared his story. And I mean, it was the most just incredibly focused that class was for the whole year. And it was the first time I had heard it. And then, so my senior paper, 
I interviewed him and got it on a tape and got him to tell that story. And I wrote, I interviewed uh, his cousin who was also there and another guy who worked at our college who had fought in you know, Vietnam. And I kind of shared their stories. And that's when I realized I like reading stories, I like watching stories. And it's kind of freaking fun to tell stories um, because it's important to everybody wants to be validated. Like we, we all want to feel like our story is important and what you're doing what you did for your grandfather and you're doing for the family yesterday and so many people is, is giving people a platform to share their stories. And you're also so great about encouraging others to do that. Um, it's wonderful to have somebody that cares about your story and wants to share that story. And it's a, it's a healthy thing for you to be able to even tell that story that, that changed my dad's life. I mean, he had never talked about it. He got involved with veterans groups after that. He came to terms with a lot of stuff. He went to, I mean, it like totally opened up. And, uh, it's when I realized how powerful storytelling is. Um, I'm, I'm so curious about, about your grandfather. Um, so you did the memoir, you, you guys self-published the memoir. So now your family has that documented available for generations and generations and generations to come to understand some of the, the history and the story of your family. Uh, I'm sad that you, you said that you didn't know your dad and that became a, that was a blessing in disguise. And obviously that's because you had this really powerful close relationship with your grandfather. Yeah. I guess. You know, it's, I never, I was never resentful growing up. Um, for some reason, even at a young age, I knew that I was privileged and I knew that I was lucky because someone loved me and uh, I got to go to private school and meet a lot of incredible families uh, that loved their children, that cared about their children. But I never found it weird. You know, I never found it weird that my grandparents would come to parent teacher day. And then on grandparents day, they would also be there. You know, I didn't feel like the weird kid mm -hmm. that didn't have, you know, the traditional American mom and dad um, situation. I just felt very lucky. And it wasn't until I had my son, um, and I was reading to my son, I was reading just a, a bedtime story to him when he was, you know, he couldn't have been a couple months old. And I was just looking at him saying like, I would do anything for this human, like nothing mm -hmm. matters more yeah. than this thing right here. And how can I, how could someone know that they have a child in this world and not want to be a part of their lives? You no. Know? And yeah. Yeah. It's fortunate, unfortunate. I've come to terms with the fact that I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm lucky that I have two amazing children and I have an amazing caring wife. And I had a grandfather that didn't, you know, if it wasn't for my grandfather and my grandmother, I don't know. You know, it's my mom's, my mom's an amazing, right. amazing woman. She got remarried. I have two half brothers that I love more than anything, but you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be here talking to you. I, I know that for a fact that it, it took it took one person, it took my grandfather, it took my grandmother to believe in me, to take me in. And um, because they did that, now I'm able to go and do things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a restaurant owner that's doing brand deals with the top restaurant technology companies on earth and helping them tell their story. I mean, I turned a barbecue business into a media business and... By doing yeah. that, I just yeah. leverage the internet. I mean, we're not doing anything that no one else can't do. It's just, it's gotten so complicated so quickly that we forget about the fundamentals of it's just storytelling. You know, we're not talking mm -hmm. about transactional yeah. advertising and creating a commercial for our business. 
we're just telling the story of why do we do the thing that we do? Like, why do we, why do we open up the restaurant? You know, why did you start the technology company? Yeah. Like, let's get back to the fundamentals. Yep. We're going to get to toast um, and, and the technology company and the story behind that. Um, I want to ask you about that, but I want to ask you, so you, you, you come back, you're there, you, you guys decide, okay, so we're going to do this. When you started the, it, the restaurant there in that space at 26, was it a barbecue no. restaurant? It was, a, it was a breakfast restaurant for about three decades. Very successful American diner type um, omelets, chicken fried steak uh, type of 7 a.m. to 2 okay. p.m. Uh, greasy spoon type of breakfast spot. And we said if we add a full liquor license, um, we're going to add a sports bar. We're going to have TVs everywhere, make it family friendly. And we're in a part of San Diego where there is real, no nice family dining where you can get quality food. Um, West coast NFL kicks off at 10 AM. If we add red zone, uh, we can get people, San Diego's a transplant, uh, city. So there's people from all over that cheer for all bunch of different teams, but we can make this, you know, we can bring energy into this breakfast business. We can add lunch as well as dinner and do something different and unique. And, we did that. Um, it took about a year for us to find barbecue. We found barbecue because of the charity work that we were doing. So we were always giving back to local youth sports. Um, the part of town that we're in, a lot of the kids can't afford to play sports. And both me and my best friend from college, Corey Robinson, who I opened up the business with, we believe strongly that some of our greatest lessons that we learned were from coaches, mm. um, not necessarily from teachers. I've had some great teachers, but some of the coaches on the sports field. Yes. So if we could if we could use our restaurant to give back to little leagues and Pop Warner teams and soccer teams, then we would do that. And uh, we started doing a lot of it. And we did so much of it that it became kind of an administrative nightmare. Um, you know, we're marketing one night of the week and then the next night of the week and just so many different moving pieces. We're like, why don't we just do one event? <laughs> How about we do a, a, an event for the community that – there isn't any big festival that happens. Why don't we put on, you know, a backyard barbecue contest and everyone wanted to do a bar barbecue contest. They said, that's a great idea. And no one knew how to do it. <laughs> so I went to the internet and I Googled, you know, how do you put on a amateur barbecue contest and got the names of some people here locally that were affiliated with Kansas city barbecue society, which is the sanctioning body for professional barbecue contests. And they said, you know, here's three names and, of those three names, one person called me back and his name was Gene Goykachea. He came down and met with me and said, if you're going to do things for the kids, I'd love to help you. Um, anything to give back to the community. And he helped us put on that first amateur barbecue contest. And it was so successful that we ended up running it for 10 years in a row. But after the first one, he's like, if you want to learn how to do barbecue, I'm, I'm retiring from the barbecue game, but I have all this knowledge. I have all this equipment. You know, I'm happy to help help you add barbecue to your menu and we slowly learned how to properly cook barbecue and because it was so hard and it was so difficult and it was so good once we learned how to do it we realized like maybe this is something that'll get people from all over san diego county driving out to san uh to spring valley to come in and enjoy and we kind of you know 20 2009 2010 went all in on on barbecue Gosh, we could probably have a whole conversation about what is barbecue <laughs> yeah. and uh, like, you know, the different like Eastern North Carolina barbecue, Kansas City barbecue, Texas barbecue. So we'll table that. I want to talk. Maybe we'll talk to that over some barbecue sometime at one of your places. Um, so you've got how many locations? So we just closed there? one of our ghost kitchen locations. So we're down to uh, we have 
uh, two locations inside Snapdragon Stadium. We have our main location, and then we have one Ghost Kitchen location. So we've kind of went all in on trying to figure out this, what we call friendly ghost kitchen model. Um, we had two, two locations with uh, cloud kitchens, uh, one in Barrio Logan, one near San Diego State University. And we had higher hopes for the financial metrics to work out. Um, it wasn't for lack of marketing. Obviously, we're a media company. We, <laughs> we believe in marketing, but I think there's yeah. something missing from the model. Um, I think there needs to be okay. more of a customer-facing side. I think what Kitchen United is doing, Atul Sud, I uh, just recently had him on my show, Restaurant Influencers, and they're partnering with grocery stores like Kroger. And I think that's a very interesting model where there's already people. It's already a great location. Um, so people are already coming to the grocery mm. store, bringing in um, something where you could also do delivery and takeout, but then there's a customer-facing side of you know someone going into a Kroger and going – well, I don't feel like cooking brisket because that's going to take me 13 hours and you know two hours of prep time. There's barbecue by the pound right here from Cali Barbecue. Maybe I can buy that. So we're rethinking our model. And to be honest with you, I think the thing that we've learned through all of it is that we're a media company that just happens to sell barbecue. <laughs> we opened up. We opened yeah, up as sure. a breakfast restaurant. We turned a breakfast restaurant into a sports bar. We started doing events. Uh, eventually we built a media company and a barbecue business through the pandemic. We had a thesis that if we get more barbecue to more people through ghost kitchens and non-traditional locations, um, it'll be financially more profitable, more sustainable, but we're restricting that, you know, right now we're in a position where every business on earth needs storytelling. Every business on earth needs to learn the basic principles of what we talk about to restaurant owners. And the more that we've realized that, the more we realize that's really what we do best. Um, the barbecue is amazing. We don't, we're not giving up on the barbecue business, but there's going to be more opportunities. Uh, we're working hopefully to get an opportunity with the airport, with a couple of Navy bases, but we're realizing that the more that we do the storytelling side, the more we realize it's a much more profitable business than running the restaurant. But there's still a magical thing about the restaurant. You know, having somebody fly into San Diego that owns a technology company that comes from the other side of the world, but they're literally just coming because they want to have a conversation with me and learn how we're doing podcasting, how we're creating YouTube channels, how we're helping people with TikTok, how we're helping them improve their LinkedIn content, having them come but then also experience this amazing barbecue business that we built over 15 years. There's something really magical about it. You know, it's kind of like the, the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come and <laughs> we feel like we've built it. We just haven't really, you know, we've had two things going on. I've always said, you know, really until this show and until really in the last couple of weeks where I've said, we're a media company that also sells barbecue. Yeah. You know, before it was, we're a barbecue business and a media business, yeah. Cali barbecue and Cali barbecue media. Right now, we're a media company that also sells barbecue. And because of that, I think we have a firm direction for what 2024 is going to look like. Um, less distractions with ghost kitchens and more focus on the heart of the story. And if I focus on the heart of the story, if I focus on business owners who want to be creators, who want to learn how to tell stories better, I can put on classes, um, have people come to the restaurant, have them learn how to take TikTok videos, learn how to post on LinkedIn, learn how to start their own podcast. 
now we have something that's really different. We believe that every business should have a studio in their business. Like this kind of storytelling allows you to have a digital heart. Yes. Allows you not to focus on the marketing side that's transactional, but actually building true community and building true relationships. Man, I cannot, cannot agree with you more. Um, one of the things that about every, I think every, I've been saying, you know, every restaurant should be immediate. You should, and it's really, you're right. It's every business. I mean, every restaurant though, Sean, it's like y'all have, oh man, like the, it, all five cents are, are enacted. Like everything in a restaurant is perfect yep. for storytelling. The food, the ambiance, the people, the customers, the people that work there. They, I mean, there's no industry that has a more diverse, quirky, yep. eclectic, crazy group of people that come together as one. And it doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter where they, whether they went to college or not. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter anything. It's just, hey, are you willing to show up here when you're supposed to be here? And work as a good teammate and put pride and love and passion into your work and take care of your team and take care of our customers. I don't care about any of that other stuff. You were in prison once. Okay. But you've changed your life. And now you're, you're like, cool. Come on here. There's no other industry. There isn't one where that can happen. And, and it happens all over the place all the time, every day. And it's freaking amazing. So it is the best place. And if you have a restaurant and you, you, you're just sitting on this gold mine of stories that you could be telling. And most people don't realize that you are on the leading, bleeding edge, tip of the spear of trying to share that message. And what's so cool about it is you realized it because you thought, Oh, let's build this place. Let's serve great food. Let's take great care of our customers and do all the things that we can do. And then, the press and the media will come and they'll tell our story and we'll get, and you're like, and you I saw this where you're like, nobody's coming. Nobody's like coming. they're not, yeah. you know, you can hire a PR, you can do all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't even matter if they come, they come once and then they go and it's, you don't want to just have a wild rush of people come when you open your doors and then go away because of the next best thing. You want people to be invested in that story and want to be a part of that story. And the more you're telling it, the more they want to be a part of it and see it. And, you all do such a great job of that and you do such a great job of helping people try to realize that. Um, it's the, it is the, you, you see the future, you know where this stuff is going. All right, y'all, it is time for a little mid episode break. We're going to talk about Kickfin. Thousands of restaurants, bars, and breweries use Kickfin to tip out their employees instantly. No cash required. With Kickfin, tips go directly to your employees' bank of choice the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem because if you're still paying out credit card tips in cash, it's costing you. Time-consuming bank runs and cash counting take managers away from work that matters. Cash is hard to track, which leads to accounting headaches, and it creates the perfect opportunity for theft, human error, and compliance issues. Bottom line, there's never been an instant secure way to pay out tips until KickFin. It's an easy-to-use software that sends real-time Cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts, 24-7, 365. KickFin gives managers hours back in their day, makes reporting a breeze, and protects your business from risk. 
Most importantly, employees love it. Restaurants can have Kickfin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds. No hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Visit kickfin.com for a personalized demo. See how restaurants across the country are digitizing tips with Kickfin. All right, that's what they asked me to say. So I say it, and it tells the story very well, but I like to add this in. We referred a customer that we know and love very well, SupDogs, to Kickfin. SupDogs has been a customer for a super long time. Trust them very much with their opinion on these types of tools. They started using Kickfin. I asked Brett, the owner, recently how it's going. He said, Kickfin is perfect. It's going great. Exactly what we were hoping for. So there you go. Kickfin.com, y'all. Check them out. It's not the, the business model for all businesses, all brick and mortar businesses is not sustainable unless you have additional revenue streams and the internet allows you to have additional revenue streams. And yeah, to your position, right. your, your, what you speak about is exactly why we believe in what we believe is, you know, well, how does, how does a story become a legend? How does a story, because it keeps getting retold over and yeah. over and over by different people. You know, and the problem that yeah. we have as humans is that we think that, oh, someone's heard the same story. I shouldn't tell the same story of why I opened up the restaurant. People have already heard it. They already know. Well, what about somebody that just found out about your business? They still don't know. You know, I went to uh, two days yeah. ago, I was in Los Angeles, the Irv's Burgers. They have been around since 1946. The amount of people, The Rock has eaten at Irv's Burgers. Like Dana Carvey is his favorite burger place. But this is the fourth mm. iteration of ownership of Irv's Burgers. Like there's so much history, so many stories that haven't been told. You know, and the best part about storytelling is that the more that you do it, the better that you get at it. You know, people have a fear yes, of public that's speaking. Right. That's right. Well, the Absolutely. more that you go and you speak in public, the more that you go and speak on stages, the better that you get. Hopefully. You know, you got to be really bad to get on stage a hundred times and then yep. still deliver the same material that you were delivering the first time you were on stage. It seems so simple, but I have to say it all the time. I mean, I, I study the craft of storytelling. I study people like great comedians like Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Hart and Chris Rock, understanding that they've told jokes a thousand times before they get to the stadium and they have their Netflix special. Painful. It's painful how many times, but they care so yep, much that's right. about the pause, about where do they say the adjective? How do they better tell this part of the story? How do they bring in a different character so that by the time that they get on stage and guess what? Once they tell that story, like Bert Kreischer, he literally has a movie about the story that he tells for the last 20 years of his comedian career. He literally has a, like a, a movie on Netflix because of it. Yeah. But anybody that's listening to this has to yep. know that your story yep. matters. And back to your point about, you know, the video that I say all the time is the reason why we're a media company is because I thought that someone was going to come and tell my story and nobody came. I thought if we made great barbecue in Spring Valley and I thought yeah. if we provided phenomenal magical moments and hospitality and took care of people and smiled and had parking lot attendants where no other restaurant because we had eclectic parking and I had security guards that would smile on fight night, all of these things that somebody, a magazine, a local news station, a newspaper would come out and they would tell our story and then that would help get more business to open up more restaurants. It didn't happen. 
And like once it didn't happen, what did we do? Instead of going out of business, we just started using, you know, the thing that we all take for granted. You know, this is the most powerful tool that's ever been given to a human. And yet the tool that we all take for granted, myself included, every single day. Yes. For free, I can text on Instagram yeah. with my videographer, my video editor, one of the people on my media team that's in the Philippines. Amazing kid. This kid found me on LinkedIn. He DM'd me. He proved to me that he was willing to do the work. Now I have yeah. this relationship where I'm sending yeah. files through Instagram for free. And Boom. he's building his own video agency, editing videos. He's hiring other people because we have so much work for other brands yeah. that are helping us. They're like, yeah. how do we do the video better on LinkedIn? How do we do better YouTube videos? Well, I need a team to do that. But how does it all, how do we all get connected? We got connected because I'm just willing to look stupid and sound stupid on the internet and I connect with other people. You and I get connected because I'm like, dude, I love what Will's saying. I love what he's posting about. I resonate with that. But you have to have a belief that you're not alone. That's exactly right. You know, I started using LinkedIn like, I don't know, three or four months ago or six months ago. I, I was on there every now and I was like, man, yep. I'm going to take six months. You yep. just go all in. We'll just see what happens. I'm in. Like, I'm in for good now. It didn't take me long to realize, okay, I get it. Like, you know, this, this just the connections and things that have happened just because of that, the, the serendipity or whatever you want to call it because of that. And it's, it, it, but it's because I embraced that tool. And you're right. Now, here's, you want to laugh at something, dude? I agree with you. But, um, I mean, this is, this is my phone. This, <laughs> Freaking flip phone is is my this is what I talked to you on when I called you, um, but it's because I'll tell you why. So you don't own a smartphone? Nope, not anymore. I took it in and wow. uh, and I wouldn't. Have, I'm not saying that I would advise that. I think that there, there's there's challenges that come with this. But I took my phone in July of 2020. Um, I had an iPhone 11, and I was sick of just this all, all that I didn't like who I was with that yeah. bone in my hands and I didn't have the discipline which most people do and people are learning that discipline of putting on airplane mode or setting this like I just didn't like that I didn't like that and I didn't like sitting around with family members and friends who were all like this and I was like man I'm just gonna I got mad one day I went down to Verizon I'm like I don't want this thing I want a flip phone and the guy's like are you sure and I'm like do you have any flips? And he, he, he literally went in the back. He's like, I think we have another uh, Kia Sierra in the back. Let me go see. And he brought it out. And he, he's like, look, dude, I bet I'll see you in 30 days. I was like, you probably will. But right wow. now I'm, I'm happy. Like, this is all I want. And uh, it, it took an adjustment. And then it's what I, but I'm also like kind of old school. I'm a phone guy. Like I still leave voicemails. My friends are like, there's nobody leaves voicemails. I don't listen to your voicemail. I see that you called. I'll call you back. But I still leave voicemails. I talk on the phone a lot. It makes it harder for me to text, so I don't like sit there and send long texts. It's, and then I just keep, you know, my email on my laptop and whatever. So the problem is, like, I don't have the ability to do what you do, which is just sharing. Yeah. This, like right now, I'm going to go share a story. Like that's freaking awesome. Now I don't really have, but I also don't have a restaurant. I don't, like if I had a restaurant, you better believe I'd freaking have one of those things because I think what you do is awesome, and I like how you, like, you'll share. I think this is funny too. People are always worried like, oh, I don't want people to see how we do things because they might <laughs> – Good luck. Nobody, nobody's going to come tell your story. Nobody's going to replicate what you're doing. Like I had somebody earlier saying, hey, I got this idea for this 
this this app and I want to build it. Should I have an NDA when I'm talking? I'm like, yeah, no, like just, just no, nobody's going to do that. Like everybody says that was my idea. Yeah, but they didn't do it. You did. Like everybody has ideas. It's the execution that's really freaking hard. And if you have a good idea, you know, man, like don't worry about that. Just go do it. And um, so sharing, I love that. I want to see how people do things. What, you know, why does the, and this is what we're going to start doing, Sean, as I said, like, we're going to start, you know, having, I mean, we have nearly 6,000 restaurant customers that, that we can go to and say, look, you know, I want to share your story and, and maybe it's the owner or maybe yeah. it's the sous chef or maybe it's the bartender. Like, I think that people that work in restaurants, they have, they have interesting stories, their backstories. And I want to start sharing those because I think people that work in this industry, I, I truly believe this. I think it's an amazing group of people. I have profound respect for you and your peers for what you do. When we got this thing going, I mean, I had like bus tables and made, I, I wasn't like a restaurant person. You know, Wes used to write the schedule in a, a, a restaurant. He had the idea to like, oh, well, why should I do this on Excel? Like I, I, he built what he would have wanted, right? So when we started this 16 years ago, I'm like, okay, well, I can figure out ways to get this into people's hands and we can make a big, good, profitable business. But I didn't have this passion for restaurants. And then when we realized we were just kind of weird and we didn't get venture capital and didn't want to grow that way. So it's like there's five of us. Like how in the world do we, you know, like how do yep. we spread the word? And uh, we had a blog. and um, But our blog was like stupid stuff like – Here's a feature we added. It's like, who cares? Like, no, but I didn't even care. And our customers surely didn't want reading that blog. So I was like, I bet if we, because I like telling stories, I was like, what if I start like calling customers and recording the conversation and, and we'll, we'll, we'll share the story on our blog. So we, we literally in like 2009, we were like sticking audio files on our blog and I'm like, yeah, but nobody's listening. Like, you know, like what, like, how do we, how can we get this content out there more kind of before podcast? And so we did our first book called restaurant owners Uncorked. It was literally 20 different owners from around the country sharing their stories, including Dave query in Boulder, who has big red F you may remember yep. like Jack's and, and, um, Centro and some, so and I'm like, wow, dude, these freaking stories are awesome. These people are amazing. The love they have for their businesses out of this world, like in their, really good business people and they love their communities. Like you talk, they give back. And like, so I really started building this just passion for the people that we serve. And, um, and that, that led to another book and the podcast and some films and all that stuff. And man, I think it's an incredible industry. And I think that most people, particularly before the pandemic, a lot of people didn't really appreciate how valuable and important independent restaurants and bit like, your family there that has six, like people didn't really, they just yeah. kind of took it for granted. Like, I mean, my friends and family, like, well, and your restaurant thing, like you're all passionate about it. Like then, then during the pandemic, the blessing in disguise was people were like, Oh, wait a minute. I don't want my favorite restaurants down the street to close because that's part of our community. Like that's where we go to, you know, to mourn, to celebrate, to see friends, to, take a night off of family, you know, cooking and just be taken care of. Like, what do we do? How do we support them? Like, and it became this bigger thing and people realized it more, which is great because independent restaurants, y'all are the lifeblood of any great, there's no great community. There's no great city. There's no great town where you go, well, why is it great? 
Like, tell me five reasons that place is great. Guaranteed every freaking time. Well, they got all these cool restaurants, like, you know, these places that have been there for 50 years and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, man, dude, that was more than a mouthful of a rant, but I just no, like, sorry, my passion comes out too. You draw it out because I just, you know, love what you're doing so much. What happened in the pandemic? Who worked? Essential workers. That's that right. was including the yep. restaurant industry. Obviously, of course, the healthcare industry. But the restaurant industry, we figured out a way to do online ordering. We figured out a way to do third-party delivery. We figured out a way to sell cocktails to go, you know, thanks to laws changing that didn't make any sense in the past. And now there's liquor to go and cocktails to go and growlers to go. I mean, there's the ingenuity and creativity of the restaurant tour and the, in, you know, independent restaurant tour and even the big chains, you know, even the big groups, the, the best groups realized that the executives had to get out of the office and come down and find out what's actually going on. And the ones that actually rolled up their sleeves right. made better businesses. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, um, I want to change gears and, uh, Cause, cause, so you, you've got this amazing media presence and you are, I guess, a, a brand ambassador for Toast. Tell me about, like, how did this sure. all So the Toast story is when we have always been, we, we knew about Toast, um, but we didn't have a priority for online ordering until literally we went live with Toast on September 11th, 2020. So we were about... Uh, what deep into the yeah, pandemic? Six at that months point. in. Okay, um, six months in. But we realized that being on Aloha, we had a third party that allowed that allowed us to do third uh, online ordering. But there was a they were gatekeepers. They mm-hmm. didn't allow us to publish to the internet by ourselves. And you know, one of the biggest aha oh shit moments for me was you know, way back when we were maybe 2010, 2011, when I went to one of my friends and I was having problems with our, with our website, not being able to self-publish, um, not being able to tell our own story, ironically enough, right? We had to go rely on somebody else, ask them yeah. for permission, and they used their skill set to fix the website, to let, you know, our customers know that Manny Pacquiao was fighting Floyd Mayweather and I want to come up in search results when someone in San Diego is searching for where can I watch the fight? Well, I wanted to come up in those search results. But having somebody else do it, if it wasn't done the way that I wanted, then I had to email and wait another three days for it to happen. So my friend said, you need to publish yourself. I'm going to put you on WordPress. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And it was kind of like this, oh, shit, unlock for me of anything in the Internet is figure outable. Like you can figure it out. You can figure it out. And if it isn't, then the software is not good enough. And at that point, you know, yeah. coming back to the frustration with not being able to update our own online ordering, um, we realized that we needed to switch. And we had conversations with Toast. And, you know, I share the story about, you know, Allison was our sales rep and Will was her manager at the time, Will Eppard. And I told him we're a barbecue media company. And he laughed at me. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, people tell us stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Like, no, we're going to make content about our onboarding with Toast. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything that happens in between. And he goes, yeah, well, a lot of a lot of brands tell us a lot of things that, you know, they're going to do social media. I'm like, okay, well, I actually will do it. So I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to do it. And once the hardware arrived, I had my media team come and we did a unboxing video. So I have you know, a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old daughter, and they watch 
all kinds of things get unboxed. You know, we're like, I told, you know, my team yeah. and my business partner, Eric, my general manager, like, why don't we unbox this hardware? You know, how funny is it to unbox hardware? Nobody, no one's doing that. Not for us, but for the other restaurant owner that's on a legacy point of sale system and explain to them, why are we switching? We're switching for these reasons. Yeah. This is what we're excited for. This yeah. is what's going to help us. So we made that video, we published that video, and once we published it, within three days, I think it was shared throughout the entire Toast Company Slack channel. Chris Comparato at the All Hands meeting shared the beginning of the video um, with the team, sharing how cool it was to watch a customer experience the hardware, the sales process, the marketing, the packaging, all of these different points. And that was really the beginning of our relationship yeah. with Toast. Um, later that pandemic, I was invited to, I was interviewed by Chris Comparato with Sam the Cooking Guy, who's a friend of mine, um, YouTuber. He has 3 million okay. subscribers. He's written six cookbooks, Emmy award-winning TV personality, but now he owns restaurants. He's also a Toast customer. But Chris interviewed us uh, for a company, All Hands. That was a really cool experience. About seven months later, I was invited to Toast's IPO on Wall Street, so on New York Stock Exchange. I was invited. I, you know, If you looked at all the other customers, there was probably other 20 other restaurant groups. They had either been on Toast since the beginning or they were a much bigger restaurant. Like It's like, who doesn't belong? <laughs> it was definitely Cali Barbecue, but we belonged because that was our lane. You know, we were the storytellers. We were, yeah. you know, the people that were sure. sharing the behind the scenes of the stock exchange, doing all kinds of things that we believe in and that we teach. And then we pitched them the following year to create a show for them. And that was shows called Restaurant Influencers. I got a partnership with Entrepreneur Magazine. So entrepreneur.com uh, pitched toast that we were going to do a storytelling podcast about you know, the best storytellers, not just in hospitality, but creators like Rob Deerdeck of MTV. We were going to have them on the show to teach the restaurant industry how to how to better tell stories on the Internet, how to utilize TikTok and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and how to build an audience and how to care about the things that are outside of the four walls of our business. Um, now I'm on the Toast Customer Advisory Board. Like I said, I mentioned we just were literally today supposed to be publishing our first family style episode, which is a YouTube style show um, where I go and dive into different topics. Um, the idea is as a restaurateur, we feel lonely. We don't feel like there's many resources, real resources. Yes. You know, the, yes. the example that I give is I, when I was at the University of Colorado, I thought I wanted to study business. I signed up for some business classes. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the classes, I wasn't inspired. The only time I was inspired yeah. is when they invited yep. an entrepreneur who was actually running a business yep. to come and give a guest lecture. Yeah. You know, kind of like your story with your dad. Yep. That entire semester, the person that it resonated the most with the person sharing the real story. Yep. Share the real story. Tell me the failures. Tell me the things that you do differently. Tell me the successes. Tell me, you know, those aha moments or what you did and how you figured this thing out. Because that's all we're really trying to do is figure it out. And, you know, the shows that yeah. we're creating now are my basic premise. If you go on my LinkedIn bio is that we help hospitality brands and leaders tell better stories on the Internet. Yeah. Be the show, not the commercial. Be the show, the not the commercial. Yeah. With most brands is that we want a commercial about our business. Yeah. When we think of marketing, when we think of social media, this is my product, buy my product. This is happy hour, come by happy hour. 
that's not what people want. No. You know, my, my kids, the first thing that they learned how to interact with, with technology was when they were watching YouTube kids and yep. they knew how to hit skip. Yeah. Yep. Why? Because they don't want their stories interrupted. Yeah. That's right. Adults, we don't, we don't want our stories interrupted either. No, no. Don't interrupt my story. Don't interrupt the football game. I'm watching the game. I don't need to, you know, hear about it. But if you integrate what's happening through all these different platforms, then you can do some really cool stuff. And, you know, your story will become a legend because someone else will go and tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, well, you know, I want to ask you about um, the story of Toast because Toast was essentially started because you had these legacy systems that were kind of stodgy and old, and now you've got this clean, easy, web-based. I mean, that's pretty much their their story, right? That's what got them going. Um, I I think so. This is where you and I are not going to maybe completely agree. I think I, I love an antithesis. The antithesis to the thesis only helps. Well, because so I'm because yeah. I'm an authentic guy, and you are too. So I'm gonna I'll just yeah. like I'm gonna shoot Please. you straight. I, I think that they risk becoming what they were started to to fight against. Um, sure. They they are, and I'm here. I hear this more and more from. So it's um, the, the customer service aspect of this. The the I mean, the way they they don't treat vendors real well. I'll tell you that. Like they have an arrogant stance a lot of times with vendors. Um, we experienced it, which is why we were like, well, we're not. But we don't we don't do these integrations really. But like when we had this conversation, it was a very we're toast and you're this, you know, and we're, you're going to do it our way. And it's like the, and I, and I always look like, I don't like, I just want to help customers. Like that's it. Period. End of story. They've gotten to the point where they're, they're, I hear enough stories now. They need to be careful of that. Uh, you, you are like, you know, you're on their advisory boards. So I'm sharing this with you because I think it, I talk to a lot of customers that oh, it's know, use it's toast important. and it's, uh, I'll, yeah, it, I, 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 I'll, it's important to me. The, the information that you provide to me is important to me because I, we, we live in digital hospitality. So as much as I work with Toast, I work with all of the other major technology companies, the founders, the people that are trying to do integration. So all of these stories, they make an impact with me and I go and I share them. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's For just, sure. it's something I hear. I hear it more and more. I knew my experience wasn't good, but that's his event. But then you got customers that are starting to say, look, we're, you know, we're, we're starting to explore options. So they, they risk leaving the opportunity for somebody to come along and do to them what they did to the other ones. Uh, mm-hmm. They have to be careful with it. And it's hard because they're publicly traded. So you have shareholders, so you have to hit numbers. And then it's just this, it's the, it's the dilemma that any growing, it, it's a good dilemma. I mean, if you've gone from what, you know, starting to this badass publicly traded company, but uh, it's also, it's that story. It, you know, there's risks, there's peril uh, ahead with that story if it's not managed the right way. Sure. Very carefully right. with the focus on like how the customer, not the, if you, fo- I mean, you know, the, if you focus on the customer, the byproduct yep. is a successful business. If you focus on the successful business the, and not the customer first and the customer is the one that get, and then you, you know what I mean? Like I've always felt that way. Like Focus on taking great care of people. Everything else is going to take care of itself. Easy to say, easy to do when you're small. You're publicly traded. Really freaking hard because of all that comes with that. So it's, I'm interested to f- keep following this story. We'll see see where it goes. 
I mean, to be honest with you, I think one of the coolest things for Toast happening is Amon uh, coming back on as the CEO, um, taking over for Chris. You know, it's is he one of the rare. founders? Yeah, so the okay. Amon Narang yeah. is going to be the CEO, named the CEO, um, starting the next year. And you know, now being on the customer advisory board and seeing Amon um, and meeting with him and seeing how much he cares and how passionate he is, but not just Amon, it's also Steve Ferdet uh, and Jonathan Grimm's. Like, they care about. Founder, most founders, when they get an exit and they go publicly traded, they're not involved at the level that these guys are involved. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. They're in it for the long haul. Like they're in it for the long game. And I'm, you know, I'm really, really excited to see what happens in 2024. But it, it's hard. They have so many different stakeholders. They have, you know, the amount of requests mm-hmm. that they have for people that, you know, want to partner with them, want to do things with them. And, you know, I, I have no idea what it's like to, to run a company of 4,500 employees. Yeah. Um, it's freaking hard, dude. With, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's got, it's got to be hard. But what I do know is the people of all the companies that I have worked with, the people, they truly do care about their customers, like the customer advisory board and what they've built. I see other companies and brands that I admire looking at what Toast did and going, how can we do that? Because yeah. That's how you. That's how you get the best feedback. Yep. I mean, the people that I've met on the customer advisory board is why I be, believe so deeply in community. You know, mm. back to a restaurant owner feeling alone. The magic of Toast didn't even have to do anything. They just put invite us all into the same room together, and just by nature of being in the same room and not in our own restaurants, we're going to have a conversation that's going to help all of our businesses. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The idea of the being alone, I got to tell you. I'm glad you just mentioned that again because I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people over the years say, you know, I listen to the podcast because it make, it's like therapy. It makes me realize I'm not alone um, because when you're running a restaurant and you're dealing 24-7, 365 with all the things that come along with that, even if you have a great team in place, that are, that are handling a lot of that. It's still, there's always something there's, there's always a, a, a metaphorical fire, a literal fire, whatever it is, it's constant. And you're like, all, like this stuff that keeps me up at night, am I the only one dealing with this? And then you listen to some restaurant owner across the other side of the country talking about the exact same things. You're like, okay, yeah. whew, that's good. Like, I, cause you do, well, you feel alone and it, it's hard to be honest with you. It's, what I've found by podcasting is it's not just United States. Yeah. Like this is a global, like I don't care where your restaurant is on yeah. earth. No, you're right. The principles are all the same. Yeah. The language might be different, but we're all talking about the same thing. Yep. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's a small business, if it's 16 restaurants, if it's 200 restaurants, if it's a coffee shop, you know, pizza shop, really, it doesn't matter. We're talking about the same things. And, you know, I think, the strength of our business, the strength of who we are is that we have hospitality in our DNA. We care about everybody else. Yes. The problem that most of us have, myself included, is the thing that we do the least is taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. When I first started doing therapy, because I was going through some really tough family, family things back when we first started opening up the restaurant, 
I was sharing my life story with my therapist and telling him, you know, I'm the trustee of my grandfather's estate, even though he has children, I'm the eldest grandchild. I'm responsible for taking care of him, his medical health, as well as all the properties and taking care of all the lawsuits and everything else that's going on. And my brother's having this public, you know, trial, criminal trial. And I'm telling her all this stuff. And she goes, you know, Sean, what do you do for yourself? Like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, when you go traveling on a plane and they go through the safety precautions, what do they teach you how to do? Like, Mm. well, what if you're traveling with women and children? What are you supposed to do? You better take that oxygen first, bro. That oxygen first. Yeah. If I don't take the oxygen, but like as a man, Mm. and I wasn't even a, a husband at the time and I wasn't even a father. Yeah. I think, oh, chivalry, be the chivalrous man, take care of everybody else. But it's also the hospitality problems. We always want to take care of everybody else. Yeah. We open the door for everybody else. We smile for everybody else. We get the food for everybody. We clean up after everybody. That is who we are and what we do. Yeah. But we don't take that oxygen mask ourselves to take care of ourselves so that we actually can have the strength to do better and to do more. And to sustain it, bro. That, that's it. it. And that, not burn out. 100%. That, that's it because that's the problem is if you don't do that because you don't want to do it because it seems selfish and you want to focus on right. others. But if you find it, I've, you have to look at it like it's, it's selfless in a way because you're doing it so that you can continue to help others. And if you don't, look, your industry is rife with burnout, mental health issues, substance abuse issues. And I mean, and that's kind of how it was for a long time. It's like work hard, play hard, you know, and that is not sustainable. And you have people taking their own lives. You have people winding up in jail. You have all this stuff and the industry collectively is, is realizing that. And you have some great leaders in your industry. I think of Steve Palmer. I don't know if you know, Steve, he started Ben's friends. Oh, you should know Steve. Um, I got to okay. connect you all. You should have him on your podcast. He's a phenomenal that. guy. He owns a, a group called the Indigo Road out of Charleston. Mm-hmm. He's got like 29 restaurants, three or four boutique hotels. Um, he wrote a book called Say Grace, and it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. He talks about how the restaurant industry cool. saved his life twice. Once when he was home, like basically just had a horrible family life and, you know, just rough background and it took him in and then he wound up homeless on the streets of Atlanta and strung out on drugs and he, the restaurant industry took him back. This is to the point I was making earlier. This is why I love the industry so much because he was willing to try to clean himself up and get, you know, in this industry said, okay, we got you, man. Like, let's go, you know, if you're willing to come. And now he's, he's, I mean, he's just phenomenally successful, but he started a group called Ben's Friends because he and some other guys that, you know, decided to, to go sober 20 years ago, lost a friend named Ben to substance abuse who took his own life. And they didn't even know he had all these issues, but it was because of the burnout and all that stuff. And so Ben's friends is opening these chapters all over the country um, to help people in the industry, you know, learn how to deal with substance abuse issues and try to work on their mental health. And I mean, it's, it's saving lives. Like it's freaking awesome. Um, so anyway, but, but to your point, I mean, you you have to, it's great that there are people like Steve and Ashley Christensen, Scott Crawford. I think of these people that are really embracing that message of like, you got to freaking take care of you. And, um, 
so that you can keep taking care of everybody else and be careful, you know, always focusing on others. Cause that, that can have a, that can have a bad end of that to your story. Right. It's such an important message that I, you know, I can't wait to talk to those people that you just mentioned, but I think all of us collectively in this business need to do a better job because if we're honest with ourselves, we, our superpower is our super weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm honest with myself, because I give so much to everyone else, like literally in the restaurant, on the internet, if somebody wants to talk to me about a tech startup that they're starting or a restaurant group or why they should do ghost kitchens or don't do ghost kitchens or how to bottle, bottle like whatever they ask me, I have time. I make time. I prioritize it. Yeah, dude. It's literally yep. what I call digital hospitality. It's the essence of who I am. Yeah. You know, I, I create friendships. I create relationships. But when I get back home, is that fair to my wife that I've left everything out on the field? Right. Is that fair to my son? Is that fair to my daughter? Yeah. Like, no, I have to take care of me and draw a line and draw boundaries and say, you know, there will always be somebody to take care of. <laughs> that yeah. is the business that we are in. That That's is what exactly we are really right. good at. Yeah. But I also need to make sure that I prioritize me so that I can be a better husband and so that I can be a better dad. Dude, we, man, dude, it's like you and I are from the same, I don't know, man, man we have some lineage somewhere. I, I, I Listen, I'm, I'm the same thing. The reason that we're talking about this, the reason I'm emphasizing this so much to you, I'm, I'm also saying it to myself. Like, like yeah. that's what, like I'm reminding myself, you, you got to do that because uh, it, it catches up to you. It's caught up to me before. I mean, I've had, I've had periods where it, it has really impacted my mental health in a very negative way. And I've had to build... I'm 49 now, so I've, I've been through like the ups and downs of a lot, and I've had to build a personal toolkit of like things that I can do to make sure that I'm finding the right balance, the right um, physical outlets, the right mental outlets, the right nutritional outlets, so that I can like it's really important that I make those investments because that does sustain me to to do what I want to do, which is yep. that hospitality is not just something in a restaurant; it's how we operate our, our whole lives and you want to be able to provide it to your friends, to your family, to your customers, to your, um, people that want your time. Like, but if you don't start with you with that oxygen, it all come crashing down at some point in a bad way that I've, I mean, I've learned it. Like it, it'll happen. You're so right. And I think why I know what I'm doing now with the media and the storytelling and the coaching and consulting is that the gift that we all have, that gift is transferable. That gift is teachable. Yeah. Everyone in your village wants that gift and needs that gift, whether yeah. they're attorney, whether they're a healthcare professional, whether they're head of the PTA board, hospitality is transferable. But you can't transfer that hospitality. You can't teach that hospitality unless you're willing to remove yourself from the actions that we do every day. And the only way to remove yourself is to take care of yourself. That's right. If you take care of yourself, then you can see, hey, I can't keep doing this thing every single day because I can have an even bigger impact on my entire community, help more restaurants in my local area, help other small business owners, help the local PTA, the local church, the local fire station, the local charity. I can do all of these things because I have a gift that yeah. they can benefit from. That's right. That's right. Uh, how old are your kids, Sean? A six-year-old son, Colleen, and my four-year-old daughter, Mila. Okay, good, good. 
man, they'll be walking across that stage with those high school diplomas before you know it. So it's good. I, that you're you, telling my dude, I can't believe they're six and four. It's amazing how fast that happens. So you do, you, yeah, cherish every freaking that, minute so, of it for sure, yeah. man. How old are your kids? My daughter is, I mean, this is it. My daughter's a sophomore in college. You know, she's going to turn 20. I'm freaking 20. Like, how do I have a 20 year old? Your little girl. Um, Your little girl. My little girl. And then I have a 16 year old son and a 14 year old son. And I mean, my 16 year old son, you know, I went last night to college night. Like, he's a junior. And, you know, they're, hey, we're going to start talking to all the students and the parents about applying, getting ready for college. We just went through wow. this. I can't believe this is happening. So, um, but yeah, man. Uh, t- so, what do you do for yourself? for mental health? Do you read? Do you exercise? Like what are the things you do to take care of yourself? So I have a practice uh, that I call sunrise gratitude and it Mm. started about a couple months before the pandemic. Okay. Um, I started working on my mind, my body and my spirit and Mm. uh, I get up before four o'clock. So I start my day at 4 a.m. My grandfather was always an early riser. Um, I remember, you know, I call him the Bulgarian Mamba. (laughs) So his, his Bulgarian Mamba mentality was always reading in the morning because that was when his brain was clear. Okay. Um, and the sharpest is what he would say. So I read for about 45 minutes and then I'll do cardio, um, typically something like Peloton. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, before probably around six o'clock, I have a, a close friend and mentor that lives in the neighborhood and him and I, we walk his dog, um, when the sun rises. So, uh, five days a week, it's an hour, 5k walk. Uh, but just getting outside before, before I meet up with him, I do a little bit of, you know, my own time listening to my music and, um, just kind of refocusing myself thinking big picture. But when I don't do that routine, um, typically I do that six out of seven days, the seventh day I spend, you know, with my wife and kids. But if I don't do that routine, I am not f- as fulfilled as I would be if I do do it. Yeah, for sure. My biggest, my biggest thoughts, my deepest thoughts, my biggest gratitude comes when I stay in that routine. 4am, huh? You're like Jocko. Do, do you, do you know who Jocko is? Jocko Willink? I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. Big fan of Jocko. I love Jocko. You ever seen what is, this? What, what's the, vi- what's the video? Good. Um, what is it? Is it good? Yeah. Good. It's good. my favorite minutes, favorite three minutes on YouTube. I love it. It's, Whoever's listening to this, if you haven't seen the good video of Jocko, please watch it and save it because it's literally the most amazing thing ever. It is. It's good. the best. It's the best three minutes on YouTube. I'm I'm convinced of that. Um, I, I watch uh, it. I, I, I agree probably, with you. I, I won't argue with you on that. I'll probably watch that once a month. I've shared it with my kids. Everybody. I yep. mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, do you listen to? Oh, I mean, you know, Jock. I mean, do you listen to podcasts yourself? I do. I do. I'm an avid podcast listener. So David Meltzer is my media mentor, um, somebody that I look up to that's helped me um, develop, you know, our media business, my consulting business, the things that I'm doing. He has a great uh, podcast called The Playbook. Okay. Um, I listen to Gary Vee, obviously. Yeah. Um, I listen to Tim Ferriss. Uh-huh. I listen to Alex Hermosi. Okay. Um, just, just started listening to him. Chris Doe. Uh, somebody that is in the creative space. He's an educator. He has a YouTube channel called The Future. Okay. Uh, but he talks about really cool things for creative people um, yeah. on the pricing side, sales okay. side, psychology side. Yeah. Uh, and then I got some sports podcasts that I listen to too, local sports podcasts. So you're a Padres fan. A ch- what, what about the Chargers? I mean, you, you still 
I'm a Chargers season ticket holder. I took you my are. son to the Bears Sunday night game last okay. Sunday. Yeah. And I got back home and my daughter, who's four, said, why didn't I get to go? And uh, we have two season seats. So next, this Sunday uh, against the uh, Detroit Lions, I'm taking my little girl. So we're unapologetic Chargers fans. We, we're part of the Save Our Bolts movement. Um, I've been a Chargers season ticket holder since 2004 or five. Okay. Um, since I had money after college, it was the first money that I ever spent was um, becoming a Chargers season ticket holder. And we tried to keep the team here. We worked with the, the ownership. We worked with local politicians. We worked with fan groups. Um, we held uh, vote voting, um, registering voters at our restaurant. I mean, we did all of it. We have, yeah. you know, we got a lot of media for it. And unfortunately, San Diego decided 43% um, said yes. And the remaining 66% said no. And now the Chargers play in SoFi Stadium. So I drive up to Inglewood for the games and $5.5 billion stadium, beautiful stadium. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it, it's sad. I, I love San Diego so much and I wish that we could get out of our own way. Um, you know, there was multiple people at fault for that not happening. But when I see Taylor Swift uh, and Metallica and World Cup and all of these things that won't ever come to San Diego because we don't have a stadium, it's, we, we lost more than the Chargers. Um, and, you know, hopefully one day that will change. But knowing, knowing San Diego like I do, I, I think it's, it's going to take a big idea. It's going to take a, a Jerry Jones type of uh, personality to come in and, and really shake it, shake it up and, and get something built that will last. Maybe it'll be you, bro. You know, Gary, if he wants to own the Jets one day, maybe you bring, you know, the NFL back to, I'll back show to San you this Diego. Is my, uh, my high school license plate. <laughs> I love that, man. That's freaking cool. I like it's it. It's not here yet, but I'm, not a, there I'm yet. a big, big thinker. Make Thank it happen, man. Time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, they're expanding for sure. So, why isn't it there? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what's the is it? What's the population it's all, of San it's Diego? All, it's stadium. It's stadium. It's land. We're a vote no town. So, You're a vote no you town. Know, if you get a okay. playground, if you get a playground built, people are asking why'd you spend so much money on the playground? Why'd you take too much? I mean, okay, a lot of competing interests here in San Diego. For yeah, what happens and why it happens. I uh, I didn't go to NC State, but I grew up an NC State fan, so I was a Philip Rivers fan, Ooh, and uh, so yeah, Kakopi, yeah. that's my guy. Now I begin. Yeah, <laughs> huge, huge Philip Rivers. Nuke Nuke Kopi in Latin it means now I begin. Now I begin. No matter no matter what you've accomplished today, if it was terrible, if it was great, if you're lucky to wake up the next day, you get to begin again. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it is very true. Um, Sean. Man, what a what a just a wonderful conversation, man. I, I really, really enjoyed this. And it was awesome. I look forward. I know at some point you and I are gonna get to hang out in person. I don't know when. I don't know where. I know it'll well, you're happen. Gonna, you're coming on my show. I don't I don't know when that's gonna happen, but I, I definitely need to to talk to someone that still has a flip phone. We're gonna dive into to the flip flow mentality, to to the scaling. How do you build a beautiful company without hiring thousands of employees and do something that's impactful, which you've done for 6,000 restaurants. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of you, man. I'm, I'm honored to, you asked me to be on the show. I can't wait to turn the tables on you. Uh, 16 years, five guys. We all live in North Carolina. We're in different cities. Magical. We have only been together one time, all five of us 
in 10 years ago in 2013 for uh for lunch that's the only time we've all five been together and we've never had a company conference call never even through our ransomware attack so we're a weird group but it, it works we're it. like a band that just we don't hang together but we play well together you know like it just works so we just keep doing it awesome. uh, so well look man i appreciate it very much um like truly i mean i love what you're doing dude I'll give you I'll give you the highest compliment I can give someone is that I, I didn't I didn't secretly share I share this information and I volunteer it to the world but there is a few point zero zero one percent of leaders that listen it resonates and they understand um, how impactful they can be once they you know all the things you're already doing the work you've done the work you know it's not i'm not inspiring you to start a show you've been doing a show you've you've known the impact that you've made by having the conversations and sharing the story it's just you know the the internet like i said we we make it more complicated than it's just audio video words and images it's, a, it's just <laughs> yeah, stories that's right so that's right all right brother i appreciate you man we'll wrap it here um i'll be i'll be in touch soon we'll get um get some content to you and um we're going to create if some. If anyone's coming, if anyone comes to San Diego, please send me a message at Sean P. Walchef, S H A W N P W A L C H E F. Barbecue is on me, um, courtesy of Will. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you make it to San Diego on a family trip or for any trip, please uh, please come down to the, the barbecue studio and we'll show you what we're building. All right. Thanks, y'all. That is a wrap. See you.